Hello, I'm Sean McLeod, British Ambassador in Belgrade, and this is my blogcast, The Online Diplomat. Samik Jagger and the Art of Negotiation. This week, stories about negotiations have been prominent in the media in the UK and in Serbia. The history of diplomacy might also be called the history of negotiation. Negotiating is a way of life for diplomats. Whether you're working on a major arms control treaty, opening a new diplomatic mission, or drafting a statement on behalf of several countries, you're likely to be using your negotiating skills. Every diplomat will begin a negotiation aiming to get everything that they want. But it would be a very rare negotiation indeed if everyone were to succeed in that aim. To quote Mick Jagger, you can't always get what you want. So it's also important to know what you need. In other words, and though you may not always make it public, you need a clear idea of the minimum you can accept, known in diplomatic jargon as your red lines. It's also good to know where you would like to end up and how important different issues or even particular words are to you. You also need to look at it the other way round. What would you be prepared to give up? What would you be prepared to offer up in return for something that's more important to you? It's essential too to understand what other parties to the negotiation want and what they need and why. Different countries may have different negotiating styles or use slightly different tactics. My first exposure to negotiation as a new diplomat was a role-playing exercise on a training course. I played the part of a country that only ever said no. It was quite fun for an afternoon, but hardly constructive. Over 30 years in diplomacy has taught me that, luckily, negotiating positions are rarely so inflexible. Even in this online world of instant use, negotiating is one area of diplomacy that still goes on behind closed doors. There's a good reason for this. The point of negotiating is generally to find a middle point that all sides can find acceptable. That needs flexibility on all sides. It probably means all sides making some concessions, either dropping a demand or accepting someone else's request or choice of words. Imagine how difficult it would be to show flexibility if you were standing in the street shouting out your negotiating position. The same applies for the modern social media equivalent. My recipe for successful negotiations would also include respect for the other side or sides, trust between the people negotiating, and political will, or in plain English, all sides wanting a solution and being ready to work for one. In an ideal world and on a human level, the ingredients would also include sleep, rest, food and drink. You might, though, think twice before accepting too much hospitality from another party at a critical point in negotiations. Effective negotiating takes good concentration and sharp wits, as well as patience and stamina. It's all too easy for overtired negotiators to get confused or even start unravelling things that they've previously agreed. I think the first thing I ever negotiated for real was a declaration of the de facto re-establishment of diplomatic relations between the UK and Lithuania in 1991. The document was a friendly and spontaneous initiative while our respective ministers sat in talks in the room next door. In those pre-internet and pre-mobile phone days, I couldn't consult colleagues in London or our international legal experts as we would now. I'm sure both countries have the document tucked away safely in their archives. 
I only hope it didn't contravene any norms of diplomatic practice. Subsequent experience of more complex negotiations in Geneva and Vienna, the sort of international meetings that involve multiple actors and interests, taught me how important personalities and personal relationships can also be. As a negotiating diplomat, you begin to understand that it's essential to build trust and that human relationships really can help solve the most intractable political problems. Some of the most fascinating diplomatic stories are about unlikely, behind-the-scenes human contact, even in the most sensitive and historic negotiations. I had never really seen much of a link between the board game diplomacy and real-life diplomacy until I became a multilateral diplomat at the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe, involved in negotiating international declarations and decisions. In real multilateral negotiations, like in diplomatic board games, you certainly need the agility to respond to demands or changes of position that may pop up unexpectedly, for example, if one of the parties receives change instructions from a newly elected government. And you find yourselves running around talking to many different delegations. Incidentally, one of the most unusual and memorable negotiating venues I've experienced was among the spectator stands inside Belgrade's arena, the setting for a ministerial meeting in late 2014. The best advice I received before becoming a multilateral ambassador at the OSCE was about the need to develop strategic patience. You need to be patient and you need a longer term perspective. You need to keep your ultimate objective always in sight. That objective may be focused on a national interest, but often is something aimed at making the world a little bit safer or better, whether that is by banning dangerous weapons, resolving a regional conflict, increasing international cooperation, or in some way improving everyday lives. Achieving an international agreement is extremely rewarding for everyone concerned. The results may not always appear in the global headlines, but I know that leading successful talks between 57 states on improving the safety of journalists, the culmination of weeks of months of hard work by many people, was one of the most rewarding experiences of my career. Around our diplomatic network, including the Belgrade Embassy, we get involved in or follow a range of negotiations. For example, the UK-EU negotiations on the exact terms of our future relationship, bilateral talks, multilateral talks on global issues, and of course the EU-led Belgrade-Pristina dialogue, to which the UK remains every bit as committed as ever. Some negotiations can last for years because their subject is so complex and difficult. Major international trade talks, for example. Others can be quite short and simple. I hope that with a new Serbian government due to be in place very soon, we can quickly conclude negotiations on our future trade partnership. Some talks are a diplomatic response to a change in global reality. The web of engagement and activity ahead of next year's COP26 UN Climate Conference in Glasgow on slowing and reversing global warming and creating a greener future very literally aims to make the world a better place. And then, of course, there are the sensitive, painstaking negotiations that end conflict or promote reconciliation. 
Even when the benefits of reconciliation for communities may seem obvious to an outsider, to those most directly involved, living with the memory of suffering or injustice whilst keeping their focus on reconciliation and the promise of a better future takes great moral courage. In my own country, it took years of patient and determined effort to end decades of violence in Northern Ireland. The Nobel Peace Prize was awarded first to peacemakers in Northern Ireland in 1976 and again in 1998, the year the Good Friday or Belfast Agreement was finally signed. The EU-led Belgrade-Pristina Dialogue has also proved a long process, having started nearly 10 years ago. The past few months have seen a very welcome resumption and despite the complications of the coronavirus pandemic, a recent flurry of political and expert contacts. Like many negotiations, this has interrelated technical and political aspects. Talks between officials and experts can build the confidence needed for political agreement, whilst political commitment can make it easier to find answers to practical and technical questions, including compromises where needed. External facilitators and the wider international community can help too, as they did in Northern Ireland. Ultimately, though, it is the political will and commitment of the parties to a sustainable solution that will bring about normalisation of relations, benefits for everyday lives and give governments more time to focus on other challenges. In all the sorts of negotiations I've talked about, diplomats will be there every step of the way, supporting and advising political decision makers and building the relationships needed to underpin talks and help reach agreements. One of my colleagues pointed out to me today a tweet by distinguished former French ambassador Gérard Arrault, which said, The best diplomat is the one that gets a satisfactory result in a negotiation while allowing the other side to claim victory. I might have put it more prosaically. For me, the ideal outcome of a negotiation is a good sound result that allows all sides to know that they have achieved something worthwhile. In any international negotiation, diplomats will be using their professional skills and expertise to show that, though you can't always get everything that you want, as Samik put it, if you try some time, you just might find you get what you need. Mm -hmm.